At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to Scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. come face to face and worship you together in heaven, Lord, in the new heavens and the new earth. We proclaim that that day is coming, Jesus. So help us trust in your sweetness, Lord, in the meantime. Help us trust in your sweetness, Lord, even before that time comes, even before the marriage supper of the Lamb, the time that we know we have to look forward to, Lord, in the present circumstances and struggles and trials we are facing right now, Jesus. Help us to trust you worship you, God. We praise you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. And we proclaim that there's nothing sweeter, Jesus, than trusting in you. There's nothing sweeter, Jesus, than loving you. There's nothing sweeter on this earth, Lord, than what is to come. We proclaim that today, and we worship you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Give it up for our worship team. Well, I'm so excited to have the opportunity to share again today. Another thing I'm excited about, and I think a lot of us can relate to, is for the change in the weather we've been facing. After all those storms, even tornadoes for the sunshine. I don't know if there's anyone else in here. Favorite season of the year, summertime. Anyone else? Raise a hand. Well, Gary's being honest. A couple people being honest, especially in Michigan. My favorite time of the year is in summertime. To experience the warm weather, to even hopefully get out on the lake there's nothing like summertime in Michigan. But when I think about summertime, and when I was thinking about summer this week as I was preparing for this message, I thought about those type of parents. And maybe a couple of you know these type of parents that I'm talking about. The type of parents that during summertime, because kids are off from school, because have, kids have too much free time on their hands, kids and their household are forced, against their own will usually, to read for a certain amount of hours before they can do anything fun. Anyone know those type of parents? Anyone, a couple of us, that we have to read for a certain amount of time before we can go to our friend's house or before we can play video games or watch TV or do anything outside. I recently met a couple of parents who uh, force their kids to read for two hours a day before they're allowed to do anything else during the summertime. And I don't think any of us would disagree that there's value in reading, that there's value in learning, that there's value in gaining knowledge. But I think it's also fair to ask, does reading, does reading a lot of books during the summertime, does gaining knowledge and wisdom of this world, does it guarantee success in life? Does it guarantee that we'll find our purpose in life? I came across a study from 2018, and in this study, it showed that uh, kids who grew up in households where there were a lot of books, even if they didn't necessarily read a lot of books, 
are more likely to achieve improved educational outcomes. So based off this study, I think it's fair to assume, at least if we believe this study, that it is good to read, that it is good to grow in knowledge, to learn, and to see and figure out as much as we can about this universe. And maybe this is the case. Maybe the case and the truth is that the key to flourishing in life, the key to finding success in life, to finding meaning and purpose is found through the life of our mind. Maybe there is ultimate value as means of finding purpose and meaning through what we know, through what we can learn about science and logic and philosophy and mathematics and whatever it is that we're searching. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, last week we met the preacher, who I believe is King Solomon. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is seeking to uh, give his, his readers, his listeners, an idea and understanding as to where they can find meaning and purpose in life. He searches absolutely everything he can. Every ideology, every philosophy, he uses his wisdom to try to search out and find answers to the biggest questions in life. Last week we saw him look to naturalism. As Pastor Ryan preaches, he looked through nature and tried to find meaning and purpose and sense of this life, this life under the sun through nature, only to find that nature continually keeps repeating itself. That the same things happen over and over again. The streams flow back to where they started. The wind that blows eventually blows back to where it started. So if meaning isn't found in nature, Solomon turns to his second plan to try to find meaning through his intellectualism, through wisdom, through knowledge, through the mind. He asks the question of whether or not it's possible through attaining great knowledge through his wisdom and answers to all the questions he's looking for, for meaning and purpose in life. And today I'd like to raise a question to test this theory, to test whether or not the reading of more books, whether or not the accumulation of knowledge through wisdom can bring us meaning and purpose. And the question that I want to ask and the question that I believe Solomon is asking in this text that we're going to be reading today in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 to 18 is this. Why does more wisdom lead to more questions? If it's true that there's value in learning, if there's true that there's value in gaining knowledge, if there's true that there's value in using our wisdom to try to understand the world more deeply, then why does more wisdom actually lead to more questions? So let's turn in our Bibles if we're not there already. We are going to be continuing in the second part of our series, Smoke and Mirrors, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses 12 to 18 today. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one at the back table where Mike is. Mike, raise your hand, wave at people. We have plenty of Bibles. If not, the words should be on the screen behind me. Again, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting with verse 12. It says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. 
and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know the madness and folly. I perceived that this is also but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. And the poetry here, starting with verse 12, really throughout the rest of the entire book of Ecclesiastes to chapter 12, verse 8, we see what most scholars articulate and call an autobiography. Here Solomon is giving an account of his life. He's giving us the bullet points of the things that he has learned in his life. And in this section, we're seeing Solomon ask some of the big questions of life. What is meaning in life? Where is success found in life? How do I make sense of this life and find purpose in this world under the sun? And the first place that we're seeing the preacher that Solomon looks for uh, answers to these questions is through his rigorous and his stringent pursuit of knowledge. His rigorous and stringent um, search to try to find wisdom through the wisdom that God has given them in the world. And it says he applied his heart to seek and to search wisdom. In um, today's language, the word mind can be translated as heart. So Solomon is using his mind and his heart to search out all that he can about the universe through his intellect, through his wisdom, through his knowledge, through different philosophies to try to find answers again to these questions. Where can I find meaning? Where can I find purpose? Where can I find hope? And his scope, as we read, is all that is done under heaven. There's no rock that he leaves unturned. His search is comprehensive and total. And he comes to an early conclusion in verses 13 and 14. And this conclusion, for some of us, might sound absolutely depressing. Even after searching high and low, far and wide, through his knowledge and wisdom to try to find answers, through trying to answer every question he possibly could, every question that came up, Solomon articulates that success in finding meaning and purpose in life through knowledge is elusive, that it escapes him. He describes it in verse 14 as he says, All is vanity and a striving after the wind. All is vanity and a striving after the wind. My search to find answers was vanity. It was a striving after the wind. Striving after the wind, what is meant by that phrase, most scholars would argue and define as, you can't catch it, but even if you do catch it, you don't have anything anyway. So Solomon is in his best ability, he's applying his heart and his mind to try to find all the answers, but he comes to this conclusion that he simply cannot catch all the answers. But even if he were to catch some answers, he doesn't have anything anyway, because there's always more questions. And the proverb of verse 15 really identifies this emptiness, this vanity, this striving after the wind that Solomon is referencing for us. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. What is crooked cannot be straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. What does Solomon mean by this? It means that there's always going to be twists. There's always going to be unexpected twists that we don't see. There's always going to be gaps. There's always going to be answers that we simply cannot find. Some problems simply cannot be solved. Some answers can never be found. 
the intellectual in his own wisdom simply cannot find the answers to some of the most fundamental questions of life. There's always going to be a gap. There's always going to be a twist. I mean, consider the world we live in today. We all have cell phones. We all have cell phones that we can look at and search just about any piece of information that we could possibly look for. I don't know if you're like me. My problem is I, I know endless amounts of useless sports information. Endless amounts. I don't know if there's anyone else like that. There's just simply no reason that I should know Miguel Cabrera's batting average. The Tigers are terrible. Miguel Cabrera is 38 years old. But we, have, we all have these parts in our life, these areas in our life, where we know so much information. We have so much information at our fingertips. Yet for all the knowledge we possess at our fingertips, if we're honest, we still don't have all the answers. It reminds me of something that happened this week. This week was the NBA draft. And I, I think a couple of us can praise God that there's finally some hope for Detroit sports. Anyone in here? Finally some hope for Detroit sports. The Detroit Pistons drafted Cade Cunningham, the number one overall prospect in the draft. And for how bad all of our sports teams are, I praise God that can we have just a little glimmer of hope. But something else happened on draft day that was kind of shocking. It happened before the draft even started. The Los Angeles Lakers traded for Russell Westbrook. They brought in Russell Westbrook. They pretty much, yeah, some Lakers fans in here, they traded pretty much their whole team outside of the two superstars that they already had, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, to acquire to receive Russell Westbrook. And this news was shocking enough. But the most shocking part about this news, and I don't know if there's anyone in here who knows endless amounts of useless sports information, but if you were following prior to that Russell Westbrook trade, you would know that for the couple hours before the Lakers made that trade, they were inches away from making the same trade for a completely different player. In fact, they were going to trade all those same resources, all those same players and draft picks for another player named Buddy Hield, only at the last moment for them to change their minds and get a better offer and for them to get Russell Westbrook instead. What's the point? The point is that in all our searching and all our looking for knowledge and all our moments where we think we know what's going to happen, there's always going to be an unexpected twist. There's always going to be an unexpected gap where we simply cannot understand, where we simply do not know what is going to happen. And church, I think this is an important reality for us to understand in order to help us live the life that Jesus is calling us to live. That trying to find meaning through knowing as many answers as we possibly can will always leave us empty. Will always leave us deeply unsatisfied. No matter how much you study, no matter how many books you read, no matter how many sports articles or how much you watch the news to try to find the answers about what is going on in the United States and the world, you're always going to have answers that you simply cannot discover. There's always going to be another gap. There's always going to be another twist that we weren't expecting. We'll always end up unsatisfied. I think it's fair and a lot of us might be asking, why? Isn't it good to read books? Isn't it good to grow in knowledge? Isn't it good to do well in school? Isn't it good to learn more about our careers so we can be successful in our jobs? Isn't it good to learn more about God? Why does more wisdom lead to more questions? I think the preacher's Solomon's second reflection in verses 16 
and 17 and subsequent proverb in verse 18 answer this question. Solomon starts verse 16 by giving his resume, if you will. He reminds everyone why he is a credible source of information on this topic, on this topic of trying to find meaning and purpose through what he knows, to try to find meaning and purpose through the wisdom that God gave him. If you remember last week, Pastor Ryan, he talked about how Solomon, before he became king, he actually had the opportunity, I think if we're honest, a lot of us desire that we would have. He had the opportunity to use God as a genie in the bottle, if you will. When God asked him, Solomon, give me anything, or ask anything of me that you wish, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom, which God made good on his promise, as he always does, does, and he gave Solomon wisdom. And it's understood and believed and accepted that Solomon is the wisest man, the wisest person who has ever lived. And not only is he the wisest person that has ever lived, but he was also king and king of Israel, who were God's people. In other words, he had a unique and high vantage point to speak to us on this topic of trying to find meaning and purpose through what we know, and trying to answer every question that we possibly come up with. Unlike the shepherd of the day, like King David, who when he was a shepherd, the biggest concern he might have faced was whether or not to have his sheep flock in this pasture or that pasture. And we know David obviously became two, but Solomon, as king of Israel, had to deal with some of the biggest things, with international affairs, with Taxation, military context, con conquest, excuse me, human resources, human relations, problem solving, kingdom expansions. He built a temple for God. He dealt with all the things that leadership at the highest level entails. But in verse 17, Solomon also reminds us that it wasn't just his position or the fact that God gave him wisdom beyond what he had given other man that makes him qualified on the topic. He also reminds us that he truly applied his heart and his mind to know as much as he possibly could, that he went all out to discern the end of the course, the end of the matter as it pertains to finding all the questions in life through his worldly wisdom. The problem is that in his search and his quest to find all the answers in his search and his quest to discern between wisdom and folly, what's true and false, he realized that it was all just chasing after the wind. He realized that it was all vanity. No matter how deep he studied, he always found himself with more questions, with more answers that he didn't have. I think what Solomon is trying to say to us here is that if I, the wisest man who's ever lived, king of Israel, can't find meaning and purpose in my life based off the wisdom and the knowledge that I have on my own strength, then who can? The proverb in verse 18 really highlights this problem for all of us. Solomon says that in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. In much wisdom is much vexation or confusion. And he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. More wisdom, more frustration. More answers, more questions. 
more knowledge, more sorrow. I think this can be seen in a couple uh, current day examples. I think about another sports example, the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions are the most painful and confusing sports team on this earth. The more you think you know about them, the more they leave you confused. The more you finally put your hope in them, the more they let you down again. The more you think they have finally figured it out, you realize that they're terrible again. The moment you think they're going to win a game, they let Aaron Rodgers throw a Hail Mary at the last second for a touchdown. The more you know, the more you confused you are. The more hope you have, the more sorrow you have. Or I think about, imagine you have a bump on your body that doesn't know, and you don't know what it is. And you look at that bump, and you're not too worried about it. You're maybe a carefree person. Oh, it's fine. It's probably a pimple or something, whatever. But then you go home, and I don't know if anyone else has parents like this. You go home, and your parents see that bump, especially your mom. She sees that bump. And your mom at that moment immediately becomes a doctor. She immediately knows everything there is to know about that bump. She's researching online all the things that that bump possibly could be. And by the time you leave their house, you have a doctor's appointment scheduled, and you think you might have a terminal disease. Every time I go home, my mom thinks I have pneumonia. Every time I cough, she thinks I have pneumonia. The more we know, the more sorrow and frustration we have. Or all jokes aside, maybe we do have a relative or a friend or a family member who did just receive medical news that isn't so great. And the more answers you heard about it, the more questions you were left with. The more you knew, the more sorrowful you felt. The more you trusted in God, the more you doubted God. See, the search for meaning through what we know, the search for meaning and knowing all the answers on our own strength will always leave us empty. It will always leave us hopeless. It will never bring us fulfillment. Perhaps this has been your pursuit for meaning in life. You've been laboring to be the smartest person in the room, to know everything about everything. Have you come up empty? Have you come up with more questions than you have answers? More confusion than understanding? I want to be clear here. The pursuit of knowledge, the pursuit of wisdom, the reading of books, the learning about the, the world that God has created isn't bad in and of itself. But what Solomon is trying to explain and teach us here and, and implore us to understand is that the pursuit of meaning and purpose and fulfillment through what we know through the answering of questions, through the gaining of more knowledge, through the understanding of every Bible verse that we can possibly try to understand will always leave us empty. It will never bring us fulfillment. Many times it might not even bring us answers. And this definitely applies to biblical knowledge too. There's some people who know all types of things about the Bible, yet they live lives in rejection to the gospel. There's some people who can teach about the most difficult passages in Scripture, yet aren't living out their God-given purpose in their life. While I was in seminary, the number one thing I learned in seminary was how much I just simply did not know about the Bible. There's so much 
in this world that we simply cannot know. Or maybe you're here today and you're at church, you're not sure what you believe about God or about Christianity, but everywhere else you've looked, you've come up without answers. You've come up with more questions than you started with. Wherever you are today, Solomon is describing and trying to, again, teach us that we can't find meaning and purpose and fulfillment through striving to use our wisdom to know everything. There's always going to be one more piece of information that's outside of our grasp. But church, there is good news for us. You see, Scripture points us away from ourselves, away from our worldly knowledge, and it points us to God. And it points us to godly wisdom. If we want meaning and success and purpose and fulfillment in life, this is the type of wisdom we need to look towards. That is godly wisdom. Why? Because God has wisdom beyond our understanding. And this is our second point for today, that God has wisdom beyond our understanding. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Solomon uh, continues his search that he started in chapter 1. So let's pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting with verse 16. We're going to read verses 16 and 17. And again, here Solomon is continuing his uh, search and his explanation of what he found as he searched for fulfillment in the things that he thought that he knew. Again, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting with verse 16, says this, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Verse 17, Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. The preacher had to look for meaning elsewhere. Solomon had to look for purpose elsewhere. Just a little further in the book, in chapter 8 right here, we see Solomon give us more insight in his search for meaning and purpose through his wisdom. And in Ecclesiastes 8.16, for the second time in this book, Solomon uses this phrase, this phrase that he applied his heart to seek and to search for wisdom. He applies his heart, his mind, to seek and to search for wisdom. And this is only the second time and the only two times that this phrase is used right here and in chapter 1. So this section serves as a conclusion, if you will, or a further conclusion, if you will, for chapter 1. And in this section, Solomon affirms that his search for meaning through his own wisdom, wisdom, the wisdom that made him the wisest man ever to live, came up completely empty. In fact, not only did his search for meaning and purpose through his wisdom leave him empty, it also left him completely exhausted. Day and night, he was unable to sleep. He always was wrestling and, and unable to find any rest and the endless amount of questions that he was unable to answer, and the endless amount of questions that continued to come up over and over again, despite how many answers to other questions he might have found. But verse 17 really is the key for us today. 
Because Solomon finally looks away from his own wisdom. And he looks to God and the wisdom that can only be found in God. In verse 17 he says this, Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. What happened here is again, Solomon finally looked away from worldly wisdom to godly wisdom. He finally got a glimpse of God and he saw his work. He saw God's ways and he saw God's wisdom and he discovered that he was utterly inadequate to find purpose and meaning and fulfillment and joy on his own. In spite of him applying his heart, turning over every rock, searching totally and comprehensively all over the world, he realized that no one is able to completely figure out what God is up to in the universe. And this is true for all of us. When we look to God, we can see that his wisdom and his knowledge is infinite and so much greater than the wisdom of this world. In Isaiah 55, the prophet Isaiah reminds us of this fact. He says that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. The prophet Isaiah is reminding us that God's thoughts and his ways are simply so much higher than ours. And this is the God that we can trust in because we're never going to attain this God-like level of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Our human limitations, they prevent us from it. God purposely prevents us from knowing everything so that we can trust in his all-knowing wisdom, knowing and trusting that his thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. Unfortunately, this search and this struggle of man to try to find all the answers, to try to find meaning in life through what they know, through their intellectual pursuits, did not end with Solomon. And in the New Testament church in Corinth, Paul has to call out the church because they're dividing and uh, having division because of the people's intellectualism. They're having divisions because of what the people thought they knew. They're having divisions because the people were relying on their own wisdom as opposed to God's wisdom. So I'm going to turn and read in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 to 25, if you want to turn there real quick, because I think Paul teaches us a couple things and gives us a couple reminders that we all need to remember, that we all need to take heed to so that we don't fall into this trap of relying on our own wisdom as opposed to trusting in God's wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says this to the church in Corinth. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 22. For, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What Paul is saying here, what Paul is trying to remind 
the church in Corinth who was dividing themselves because of their faulty worldly wisdom, because of their obsession with trying to always be right and know everything is this. He's reminding them of the crucifixion of Christ. And he's reminding them that it was the wise of that age who actually crucified Christ. The people who thought that they knew all the answers, the people that they thought they knew everything were actually the foolish ones who crucified Christ. And it was the foolish of that age, the people who weren't considered to be wise, who believed in Jesus, who had godly wisdom enough to place their faith and hope and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. And Paul's asking them this simple question, why are you turning back to your worldly wisdom? See, Jesus died on the cross. It's a truth that is folly to worldly wisdom. Nobody lives a perfect life according to worldly wisdom. Nobody dies for the sins of the world according to worldly wisdom. Nobody then raises from the dead according to worldly wisdom. And if we're obsessed with worldly wisdom, if we think we know all the answers, we might miss what God is really trying to do in our lives. Because God's ways are mysterious. God works in ways that are above the wisdom of the world. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. So we have to ask ourselves what the question that Paul is giving to the church in Corinth, why are we turning back to our worldly wisdom? And I think we have to ask ourselves these same questions today. Are you more worldly wise? Is your wisdom and your knowledge more based off wisdom of man? Because we're reminded here that God made foolish the wisdom of the wise, the people who thought that they knew everything, the people that thought they could earn their way to heaven. Or are we relying and believing in godly wisdom? Wisdom that might be beyond our understanding. Wisdom that might leave us with things that we just simply have to admit we don't know sometimes. Because as this passage says, then Christ is the power of God to those who believe. Those who believe that God's thoughts and ways are higher than theirs. Those that believe that God is all-knowing. Those that believe, even if they don't understand why these things are happening to them, why they're having the struggles that they're having, why they just simply, for all of their might and effort and understanding, simply are left still confused sometimes in the difficulties of this world. For those people that put their faith and trust in Jesus and His wisdom, Christ is the power of God. Again, the world looks to the cross as foolishness. The wise of that time crucified Jesus. But the gospel announcement and believe is that we should turn from the wisdom of this world to the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God teaches and says that Jesus did come to this earth, that he did live a perfect life, that he did die on the cross for the sins of the world, even us today in Pontiac 2021, that he did raise from the dead and tear the veil of the temple so that we can today have a relationship with Jesus, trusting that his wisdom, his ways, his thoughts are higher than ours. So we don't need to know all the answers. We don't need to know how everything's going to work out. We don't need to be the smartest person in the world because we can hope and trust and believe in God's wisdom. See, the church, or the point today, church, is that we got to lay down our efforts to try to know everything. 
And we have to trust in Jesus' wisdom. If you don't know Jesus today, make today the day that you place your faith and hope and trust in him. He did raise from the dead, and he is Lord. Therefore, he desires to be with you. He desires to have a relationship with you. Therefore, we can have a relationship with him today. And for those of us who do, do know Jesus, we got to make knowing Christ the goal of our lives again. We all have areas in our lives where we're relying too much on our own knowledge, too, relying too much on what we think we know. And we have to make knowing Jesus the ultimate goal and purpose and place where we find meaning in our life because he is the only hope for our lives. He is the only place we can find joy in our lives. He is the only one who can love us in a way that's more powerful than what this world has to offer. So church, we got to humble ourselves today. we got to humble ourselves and reject the wisdom of the world for the wisdom of God. We have to acknowledge that we, in and of ourselves, on our own strength and our own worldly wisdom, simply cannot know all the answers. Simply cannot find purpose and understanding in the things of this world and the things that God never designed for us to know. And we got to place our life in Christ and Christ alone. Knowing that he is the Savior. That he's sitting at the right hand of God right now, interceding for those of us who are his saints. That he has our best interests in mind, even when we don't understand. Because church, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His purposes are even greater than our purposes. And he is all-knowing. So we can stop trying to know it all. We can stop trying to have all the answers, trying to be the smartest person in the room, trying to place our faith in the sciences and knowledges and things of this world, trying to stop placing in our faith in how much we know about the Bible and instead place our faith in Jesus. Trusting him to sanctify us, trusting him to lead us, trusting him to give us purpose and meaning for our lives. So church, let's pray. Jesus, we worship you today. We thank you today. We thank you that your thoughts are higher than ours, that your ways are higher than ours, Lord, that you have a purpose for us, that you know us, that you know how many hairs are on our heart heads, Lord, that before we were born, Lord, that you had works that you were calling us to walk in. And Jesus, all you're doing right now, whether we know you or don't know you, Jesus, is you're calling us to come to you. You're calling us to come to you and submit to your ways. You're calling us to reject the ways of the world, the knowledge of this world as folly, and to trust in your wisdom, the wisdom that is far greater and more true and the only source of truth in this world. So Jesus, we come to you today. We worship you today. We praise you today. We thank you for your son today. Would you help us? Would you strengthen us, Lord? We know that your power is made perfect in our weakness. So right now, Jesus, in our weakness, would your power be made more perfect? Would you help us come to you, Jesus? If we don't know you, if we haven't made you our Savior yet, would we today be the day that we stop trying to figure it out on our own, that we stop trying to pretend that everything is okay? Will we stop trying to present, pretend that we have all the answers? Humbly coming to you, Jesus, proclaiming what might be foolishness of this world, that you died on the cross and rose from the dead, but that is, in fact, where salvation is found. We know, Jesus, that you're the way, the truth, and the life. 
for those of us who do know you, Jesus, help us turn to you. Help us turn to you, Lord. Help us not rely on past experiences. Help us not rely on the wisdom of the world again. Help us not become like people in this church in Corinth, Lord. They were getting into quarrels and arguments over what they thought to be true. And help us keep the main thing the main thing. Relationship with you, Jesus. Knowing you, Jesus. Pushing into you, Jesus. And trusting, Lord, that your ways truly are higher than our name, than our ways. So God, we come to you, we worship you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.